This is the Nottinghamshire LMC podcast, here to educate, inform and support general practice staff in Nottinghamshire. Get to know about those who represent you, as well as all the latest information from Notts LMC at your leisure. Tune in and subscribe to our podcast today, hosted by me, Zenaida Morrison at podbean.com. Our guest today is a GP working in Nottingham who specializes in mental health and well-being. With a background in psychology and nursing from the University of Newcastle, she went on to pursue a degree in medicine by applying and securing a place in medical school at the University of Leicester and quickly parlayed all her knowledge into a vital career in medicine as a coach and mentor for doctors and dentists. She is Medical Director at NHS Practitioner Health, a recognized leader in the field of healthcare professional well-being and is part of the BMA Wellbeing Stakeholders Committee. We regularly call on her expertise to provide workshops on well-being and burnout prevention as our very own Nottinghamshire LMC lead. If you follow her on social media, you might know her as the Wellbeing GP, but we simply refer to her as Helen. Welcome to our podcast, Helen. How are you doing today? Hi, Zenaida. Thank you. That did make me chuckle. We referred to you as Helen. I like that. What a lovely introduction. Thank you. You're very welcome. To be honest, I was like, oh, I don't know if I can do her justice in this introduction, but I've been, I've been working, as you know, on, on getting you on this podcast. I mean, when we when we initially started this podcast, you were like one of the first people. I was like, oh, we, we just have to interview Um. Uh, Dr. Helen Gar, and so thank you, thank you so much for coming. Welcome, I'm really happy to be here. <laughs> yes, no, it's wonderful. So it's um, it's a standard procedure on this podcast to verify your human status with a couple of questions. Um, so it's a bit of a mixed bag today. Uh, so you could really get anything, but not to worry. I'm quite sure you're going to pass with flying colours. <laughs> <laughs> But we have to do it because we have a lot of um, kind of intelligent uh, people who have achieved so much. And we just need to make sure that we are speaking to a human being, not a robot. So here we go. The first question is, being the well-being GP, I think it's it's really fitting for me to ask you how you take care of your well-being. So I'm going to set the scene for you right now. When you have finished a hectic day, what do you do to unwind and why? Great question. So as the well-being GP, <laughs> what I do and what I say are often two different things. So uh, I am I am human yeah. and we all know working in general practice is exhausting at the moment. And like all of my colleagues, I'll often I will crawl home at the end of the day. And sometimes I'm so exhausted, I can barely even speak. I can barely even hold a conversation. And that's that's pretty normal. It's not right, but that's pretty normal for um, those of us working in the NHS at the moment. Yeah. Sometimes all, all you have got the energy to do is lie on the sofa and watch trash TV. Um, <laughs> and I'm quite open and honest that sometimes the temptation is there to have a glass of wine to try and wind down. Down. and actually that's yeah. human nature to want the quick win that you know the easy de-stress but yeah. I'm very conscious of that so when I'm at my best um ideal Helen doesn't crawl home and lie on the sofa um there's quite a, it's a really great question actually because there's quite a lot of things that I really try and be mindful of doing so um I heard a really great TED talk um, some time ago, and it was all about when you come home at the end of the day, it's all about how how you show up, not when you show up, because it might be seven, eight o'clock at night, but how you show up and being the person you want to be when you get there for your family, for your pets, for yourself. So I take a few minutes at the end of my day um, when I get home. So if I'm working from home before I leave my office or when I pull up on the drive, just to have a few moments to just sit and to breathe and to just try and transition mm-hmm. from the day I've just had and bring my best self to my yeah. home so how do I want to be when I show up so a few minutes just to transition and there's lots and lots of ways you can do that you can do some deep breathing some people imagine sort of opening a drawer and dumping in the the day into that drawer some people just imagine metaphorically stepping through their front door and when they shut it leaving that 
day behind. Wow. So I'm really quite conscious of trying to do that. I read somewhere once that something like 70% of us, when we get home in the evening, if we um, live with other people or live with pets, sometimes it can be hours and hours before we even acknowledge those people that we live with. So now I make a real conscious effort to when I get through the door to say hello to my dog, because my dog is the first person to greet me when I get home. And I'd recognize that actually I was just ignoring my dog because I was so tired and my dog's so happy to see me. So I make a real effort to say hello to my dog. And then I go and find my children, find my husband and make eye contact because we often don't do that and actually connect with them and ask how their their day is and sometimes that might be all the energy I've got to do before I crawl onto the sofa but it really does make a difference that's amazing yeah and when I've got more energy then um I make a real effort to do something active so always take the dog for a walk try and get outside and somewhere green um have a bath and I've just recently discovered gardening so I'll try and get out Mm. in the garden and um even if it's just five just pull one weed up (laughs) in the corner try and just do something active and and outdoors no um that's so interesting Helen like um especially what you said um, at the very beginning with, with regards to that TED talk so you just you pull up to your drive you take a minute for yourself it's almost kind of collecting yourself you know mm. gathering mm. yourself um kind of letting go of all the stresses of 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 that day so that you yeah. can show up for your family as, as best as you can possibly yeah. show up for them so no that's really positive I'll definitely yeah. um put that in my pocket <laughs> personally I, I I agree with you when it comes to baths I don't know. There's something about water that just <laughs> takes the stress away. So, there is. Uh, Apparently, if you live near water, you live on average five years longer than people who live inland. So if you live near the coast oh. and it's something about being so it's lots of emerging evidence now about the power of blue spaces. So we, we know about the power of green spaces and right. the power of nature, but lots of emerging um really interesting stuff about the power of being near water and and that's something else I've started to do recently I've started to um after work go open water swimming so oh. there's some really great places in Nottingham where you can sign up um and do open water swimming I'm a fair weather open yeah. water swimmer. I only do it when the weather's warm but there's something about swimming in a lake after work that's just so calming and just just 10 20 minutes can that's just feel like you've had a, a holiday so, that, so that's something else I've started doing recently I feel that. like I'll have to come and and do that one <laughs> <laughs> come along come along <laughs> no wonderful no thank you for that we've got some nuggets right there but um that's that's question number one so you're only 50% verified okay <laughs> the second question is when meeting new people which position is your default so when getting to know them are they innocent until proven guilty or guilty until proven innocent? <laughs> what a great question. It has to be innocent until yeah. proven guilty. It has to be. Um, you know, you've got it when you meet people, you've got to meet people with an open mind, haven't you? There's some, there's a, a book, one of my um, ex-colleagues recommended that I read. It's called Blink. Really great book. It's difficult to get a hold of, but essentially it, it looks at the evidence that apparently we make a decision about somebody within the first few milliseconds. I think it's about three seconds or something of meeting somebody. We've made a decision about whether we like them or not. Um, really interesting stuff. So I try to try to be very open when I meet somebody um, and yeah, just have an open mind about meeting people. So definitely. Um, innocent until proven guilty yeah I I expected you to to say that but just because I know you and your personality I was like no it definitely is going to be the former well (laughs) you know what actually to prove I'm a, a human I am a natural um glass half empty and I've had to really train myself to become a a um, less of a pessimist actually and have more positivity so people often say oh, you're so positive so energetic but actually I've had to train myself to be like that and learn these sort of skills to be more positive and less pessimistic yeah so, that's really good that that provides hope because I think 
what you're saying is that it's something that you can change. You know, you can, mm, you, can become, yeah, you can look at life more optimistically in any circumstance you find yourself in. So no, that's really good. Okay. So um, I can give you the green tick of approval. Helen, you are <laughs> verified. You're not a robot. You are a human. <laughs> so, thank you for that. So um, I provided a bit of a summary of what you currently do, um, but I know that I've, you know, only said a few things. I want us to kind of deep dive into things, particularly when it comes to your career journey and achievements, but also looking at your background, how you balance your priorities in life, um, and the importance of well-being in this current landscape and more. So we're going to kind of deep dive into all of that. But first, um, before we proceed, I want you to give us a quick list of your top five priorities in life. So no oh thinking about it, just whatever gosh. comes to your head. <laughs> <laughs> my top five priorities in life are without question my family and I think that would be most people's top priority so that's number one work is very important to me I have a real sense of purpose in the work that I do and really do feel that the work I do with the LMC as a, as a GP with practitioner health genuinely does make a difference and I think that's really important yeah. um, being outdoors without question in fact that's probably a, a top one tie so spending time outdoors spending time in nature green spaces blue spaces by the water is really important to me what's kindness your what's your month sorry your birth month what is your birth month? october i'm a scorpio You're a scorpio because i was just thinking of <laughs> an earth sign because i'm a i'm a virgo so i'm the month before you uh, <laughs> okay, no. okay. Yeah, I've literally no idea what the what the star signs mean. I have to be honest. I couldn't even tell you what my children's star signs. <laughs> <God>. <laughs> but yeah, so being outdoors really, really important to me. Um, yeah. Probably don't do enough of it. Um, kindness. It's one of core values. Um, something I'm really on a crusade about bringing kindness to the world and we know more and more don't we about the value of kindness so even you know in, in healthcare kindness literally saves lives so we have the whole civility saves lives movement if people haven't heard of that it's really really worth looking that up great um, TED talk on that and even wounds heal quicker if staff are kind to Absolutely. each other wounds here heal quicker how amazing is that so kindness is a massive priority to me um and how many is that that's is that four? four yeah four, that's four okay <laughs> you need one more um so my i guess and one of my top priorities which ties into the nature is being physically active i bang on about it all the time and I just said to you before we start this podcast I'm going to be doing my arm weights well, <laughs> what number are you on <laughs> yeah, I know. So actually I've, I've just been walking around as we're talking but physical activity so not necessarily going to the gym or exercising but moving more um is just so key to yeah. well-being to physical and mental health and anyone who knows me will know that I just bang on about it all the time and you know I talk about standing desks and moving more and walking meetings and walking appraisals and seeing our patients when we're walking so physical physical activity really really yeah. important to me yeah wonderful so yeah I think that like you said the top two family and work would probably be top priorities for a lot of people but um uh, the, the, the two that struck me, being outside so some probably something to do with our electromagnetic field and being yeah. in touch with you know um nature but then kindness so important so yeah. important so <laughs> thank you for that thank you very much you have done uh amazing things in your your career as you know a gp and particularly in the realm of well-being um but you know, this was not your start. And, and, and a lot of people might not even know that this wasn't your start at all. I mean, no. before this was even a thought, I mean, talk us through what you were doing before you went to medical school. Okay, so well, if we go way back, my start, actually, which 
it does I kind of feel I've gone full circle so my start was in psychology my background was as a, as a psychologist and my undergraduate degree was as a psychologist mm. um, and I kind of feel I've gone full circle now because I'm using lots of the work that I do is is positive psychology so I'm using that initial interest and I went from psychology um, <laughs> very randomly my route into medicine I went from psychology into nursing and the way I got into nursing I'd always wanted to do something clinical I'd, I'd always known that um I went to a local comprehensive school and people from my comprehensive school at that time didn't go on to be doctors I don't think there was any anybody went to Oxford or Cambridge or to be doctors from my comprehensive school it's very different now but I'd always known I'd wanted to do something clinical but nobody from my family had ever been to university and it certainly wasn't on the cards for me to be a doctor despite the fact that I did actually get all A's in my GCSEs it just wasn't anything that was for people wow. like me so I sort of ended up in nursing and it was a bit of a, a roundabout route um, I wanted to be a clinical psychologist, very, very competitive to get onto the clinical psychology doctorate and okay. started to do some research psychology and was there's been actually there's been a lot of inspirational people in my life that has got, have got me to where I am now, but there's um, Professor Rowan Harwood, people might know him, he's a healthcare of the elderly consultant at Queen's. And I was doing some psychology research for him and he was so inspirational. And he, he said to me, do you know what, there's something going on at Queen's, a pilot study um, where people can train to be nurses and you, you get a really decent bursary to do that. And you train and I think it was 18 months or two years, it was a shortened course. And instead of trying to get healthcare experience through the back door why don't you do that so i did that and yeah. absolutely loved it with the still with the intention of becoming a clinical psychologist mm -hmm. the more i worked on the wards the more i realized actually perhaps medicine's for me and i used to go on the ward rounds as an as a nurse with all of the, the medical students and the junior doctors and i used to answer all the questions wow. <laughs> that, the, that the doctors were being answered and i remember one of the one of the consultants quite a scary consultant i think he's still around said to me helen do you know what you're not giving these guys a chance why don't you think about going to medical school mm -hmm. and that was the first another inspirational person that believed in me and I thought oh, gosh perhaps I actually could do this so so actually I applied for graduate medicine yeah the first cohort to do graduate medicine at Leicester Warwick um and yeah so that was my foray into medicine via nursing and psychology that, that um, is it's here amazing. I am no, no that's amazing and I and you know it's funny isn't it because you do see the thread of kindness you know uh mm. when you talked about you know professor Rowan Howard who kind yeah. of he almost kind of you know he 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 saw you and he's he I guess he saw something in you and he he wanted to kind of help mm. your your direction and your steps and then um mm. and then being on the ward and then you know all having yeah. being seen so you know you can see the thread yeah kindness throughout your career and I think that's one of the things that a lot of people don't realize they tend to think that you just you just appear you just show up there but it's years of work it's years of dedication but it's also mentorship it's also yeah. having people who you can look up to and and who believe in 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 you yeah oh to people that inspire you as well yeah. and I think there's there's been so many people in my life who have believed in me and inspired me and yeah. got me to where I am today, Michael Wright, actually, I'll tell you a story about Michael in a moment, who, yeah. who's absolutely instrumental in where I am now. But yeah. sometimes people don't, people haven't set out to necessarily inspire you or to mentor you. People don't realise the impact that they have, which is why every single interaction we have with people, it's yeah. really important to be kind because you do not realise what those interactions, the impact they will have. So, um, you know, I'm sure, the story I'm going to tell you about Michael in a moment, he, he probably won't remember what he said to me, but he'd stayed with me for years and years and years and yes. got me to where I am. So we can have massive impacts on people's lives by how we behave and the things we say. And it's really important yeah. to be mindful of that. And that's underpinned by kindness, isn't it? 
absolutely no absolutely. I'm, I'm interested um, to hear that story about Michael Wright uh, <laughs> yeah. the chief exec of the Nottinghamshire LMC so yeah um... <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you so so yeah as I say there's been so I mean we've all got people haven't we we've all got people in our lives who there's been pivotal moments where people have said something to inspire us or they've believed in us so you know our teachers um we've all got that teacher haven't we that was the one teacher that believed in us right. I met Michael when I was um, a GP registrar and I met him after I'd had a particularly difficult placement actually and I'd lost a lot of my confidence and um, self-belief and my self-esteem had taken a bit of a knock and I met Michael because I as a result of the experience I'd had as a registrar and actually I know lots of trainees have similar experiences it made me sort of define my purpose really and I was quite clear that I knew where I wanted to go with my career and that was helping other healthcare professionals mm -hmm. we spent a lot of time um, caring for others but actually who cares for us and a lot of the culture in the NHS is not really conducive to supporting each other or caring for each other it's a really odd um, really odd situation that we are the carers yet we yeah. have to care or support each other. So I met with Michael um, because I picked up a copy of the LMC newsletter in the days when we used to have paper and it was sitting in the waiting room of a surgery where I was working um, okay. as a registrar. And it talked about the launch of the GPS, the GP coaching and mentoring service. And I yep. thought, wow, well, this is something I want to be involved in. And I contacted Michael and Michael was amazing. I was, you know, I was literally a nobody. I was a nobody. I was a GP registrar. I hadn't even qualified. And he came out and he came to my surgery and he came to meet me. Mm -hmm. and asked me about what I was interested in and how I might get there. And it was so refreshing to have somebody take that time out and believe in me and Michael said to me this this is where your interest is when in well-being you carve out your position as the expert in well-being you do whatever it takes to make yourself the expert and make yourself the person that is known for being the well-being expert for doctors Wow. And it was generally the best piece of advice I've ever been given. And I took that and I ran with that. Yeah. And I think I'm sort of sort of there with it, really. And I probably would never have done that. I would never have had the confidence to do that. that and Michael probably won't ever remember saying that to me. It was, you know, it's just a sentence 15 years ago or have, however long ago it was. But it stayed with me. And yeah, and it's sort of driven me. He so, will remember it now. <laughs> 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 but I think that's that's the example of people taking I mean that was so kind of Michael he, he yeah. you know how busy he was and he took that time to come and meet a registrar who was literally nobody to hit to hear what they had to say and saw something and you know and Michael's really championed me and believed in me and you know he's one of the people who I wouldn't where I am today without without him and you know Rowan Harwood and okay. certain other people throughout my career yeah and we've all got the potential to be that person for somebody yeah. else yeah no absolutely and I think um well this was probably before Michael did become um uh, CEO but uh, mm -hmm. it, it's testament to uh why he's you know even mm. in the position in the first place because yeah, he's quite absolutely. passionate about and it's important to influence the culture of those uh uh gps that are coming into the workforce do you see what i mean and absolutely having that first-hand knowledge so that's really yeah. positive thank you for that that was a very nice story <laughs> <laughs> so um <clears throat> so of course we know you 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 started with kind of like a major in psychology you went into nursing, you are obviously, um, you know, an A student. So, you know, a really, really kind of good student. I'm getting the sense that you were inquisitive by nature. Is that correct? Were you that kind of student? Um, I, I think inquisitive is a lovely word. I probably, teachers would probably say <laughs> rebellious and asks too many questions. Um, so <laughs> I was, so you've just reminded me of, um, 
another one of the, another great pieces of advice I was given was with my very first day at senior school. Um, yeah. It teaches to me always ask why, always ask why, never stop asking why, and that stayed with me a lot. And it's really important to be curious, yeah. um, and it's really you know fundamental facet of being emotionally intelligent and um, communicating with people as being curious yeah. and I've always been like that and I've always asked why I think it can annoy people again <laughs> especially annoy teachers at school my daughter's very similar to me and um it I think it doesn't fit with some of the culture sometimes to, to ask because yeah. it can feel it can feel threatening sometimes to to ask questions and to um to challenge but yeah absolutely inquisitive and to this day i i will continually be curious i, I will often be the one in meetings to say hang on a minute i don't yeah. understand what's going on here or why why are we asking this why are we yeah. doing this why has this come now why is this an issue um and i think it's really important to so move you, forward but it can be difficult you challenge the status quo um so that's interesting to hear and i think it's important as well but you know i mean just on that note what would you say to people because it's it's not always the favored position to be in is it uh sometimes when you do challenge the status quo it's kind of like well no you you're making us uncomfortable you're speaking too much and you know what would you say would you say could still do it still proceed it's really difficult, isn't it? And it took me a long time. And, I, and even now, I don't always do it. And it, I think it all comes down to um, confidence. And it comes down to this issue of psychological safety. We hear this a lot, don't we now? Psychological safety is everywhere. And yeah. I really, really try to create a culture within my teams at Practitioner Health where no question is a stupid question. When you have a culture of psychological safety where people feel they can trust each other and they know each other, that's why things like these podcasts are really important to get to know your um, your committee members on the LMC. So then you feel more able and confident to challenge and ask questions. And I think the questions that we feel are the stupid questions are actually the most important questions. They're the questions that everybody else is too frightened to ask. Ah. Absolutely. No, um, thanks. <laughs> That's very, very true. But um, I, I know you have, you, you have a, a very vibrant, I've said this before to you, very <laughs> vibrant, vivacious personality, optimistic, just kind of really a ball of energy. Um, <clears throat> That's what I get from you. And actually people I've come across who also happen to know you have said the exact same thing. So it, it, it just, it just, it's throughout. But you talked a little bit about rebellion when you were Ooh. a bit younger. <laughs> <laughs> have you always, would you say that you've always been, you know, a ball of energy or were, were there moments where, you know, you were a bit shy growing up and- Oh God, no. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> That's a, that's a, that's a definitely. myth, that doesn't exist. So, no, I'm definitely, you know, I'm a born extrovert. I've never been shy and I think I'm, you know, I'm very lucky um, in that respect. And actually there's nothing wrong with being an introvert, is there? They were just different no. personality types. But I'm, no, I've, I've never been shy. Um, we, everybody's got dif different strengths. Um, I think one of my strengths is I can walk, it, walk in a room and talk to anyone who, anyone about anything and leave with you know five new Facebook friends or five new um, <laughs> connections or whatever yeah. um uh, so definitely not shy but always a little bit rebellious my natural personality is um to question is I don't like rules for the sake of rules I don't like um I like change I like to you know one of my things that I say every day at work is how can we be better tomorrow than we are today mm. um, I like that what you just said I don't like rules for the sake of rules no, no. Yeah. and there's a lot of those that, there's a lot yeah. of those um you know what if the rules are there what what's their purpose how are they yeah. benefiting people um so i do like change and change is very threatening i like change for the better but it can particularly within the nhs some of the cultures can be well this is how we've always done it so why do we need to change yeah. now um so i do like to challenge i do like to question i do like to um yeah but probably i can take it you know we've all got it's things that we're less good at and perhaps sometimes I can take it a bit too 
far sometimes with challenging and questioning so there's that fine balance into knowing things just need to sit um yeah yeah. but you know um challenge it's the bedrock to growth isn't it You, you you need to be pushed out of the comfort zone you need to question things you need to have a a better understanding so you can grow so it makes sense but yeah fine tuning and finding that balance is is also very important yeah i'm going to swivel back to earlier (laughs) in your career as a gp (laughs) so at a recent conference i believe it was a the practitioner health summit you were a keynote speaker and you spoke very candidly about embracing mistakes rethinking how we you know we view mistakes and this was kind of in relation to you earlier in your career you had just given birth to your son he wasn't very well at the time and you faced that challenge of having to navigate as a new mother again who needed to be you know there for your child and a new gp who needed to be on call and there for your peers to support with patient care um so you know you faced a lot of prejudices, you know, which perhaps made you might might have made you question at a point in time if what you chose to do professionally was really for you. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you? How did you? Or should I say, how have you combated doubt? Uh, talk us through that moment in time. What were you? What were your real feelings and and what you experienced and what mistakes do you think that you've made that you've learned from? Well, I mean, we've all made mistakes, haven't we? So, and I think that particular situation that you're referring to, and I gave that speech, um, was that speech was called "Learn to Fail," and that speech that I gave, um, that keynote speech, was about actually how in medicine we self-select. We, by definition, the people who come into men- medicine and who are selected to be doctors are perfectionists. But medicine is a really uncertain speciality and we can't be certain of things. So things will inevitably go wrong. Patients will die. We will make mistakes. We will fail exams. But when you're a perfectionist, when we are expecting those people to succeed against all odds, failing something or making a mistake or something going wrong can feel absolutely catastrophic. And that's why we see doctors who, um, you know, the suicide rate in doctors is is particularly high is particularly for females it's much higher than um in the non-medical profession so i talked about um this culture in medicine of where it often feels catastrophic catastrophic as something goes wrong and often doctors might think about leaving and actually when my son was really poorly and he, he had lots of hospital admissions while i was trying to set exams and train as a junior doctor and at times it felt like I didn't get very much support from the system. Mm -hmm. And I think that's because the culture of medicine back then, and to some extent still now, is doctors don't go off sick. Doctors don't take time off. We're there no matter what, no matter how exhausted or unwell we are or whatever else is going on in our lives, we are superhuman. We are there regardless. And it would have been very easy to leave medicine at that point. Um, And actually, I was told to leave medicine multiple times. I remember quite clearly a supervisor saying to me, you can't possibly carry on in your training while your son's so unwell. Leave, come back when he's better. But actually, the the rebel in me (laughs) was like, no, you sod you. In fact, what I'm going to do, I'm going to finish my training, I'm going to do really well, and then I'm going to change the system. Yes. (laughs) Which is, you know, it spurs me on. And actually, what I talked about in in that talk was how resilience, when we're resilient, actually failure drives resilience. So it's what we learn from when things go wrong or when we're facing difficult situations, what we take from that, how we grow, that's what makes us more resilient. So actually what I learned from that was how to be tenacious, how to hang in there, how to change the system, who can support me, what support do I need, what strengths do I have to get through this? So when you find similar situations in the future, you actually, hang on, I've been somewhere like this before. What worked last time? What can I do to get me through this? I know I can get through this because I got through it before. And every time that something goes wrong, we grow. So I, yeah, and you know, we've we've all had difficult situations. That's life, isn't it? And what we learn from them and come through them. But with mistakes specifically, I'm working really, really hard um, in my service to 
develop this culture of going back to psychological safety, but a culture where actually if something goes wrong, if a mistake is made, then we learn from this as an organisation, as a system. No one's ever individually to blame. And what we do know is in the NHS, historically, when things have gone wrong and people have made mistakes or errors, they've often been covered up or not reported because people are scared of being blamed. And it's all about learn, not blame. So that's another big thing I've, I've took through, you know, through my career is trying to embed that mm. into the work I do as a leader and hopefully try to change systems and cultures so that we can carry on learning from mistakes. Yeah, mistakes aren't about you as an in individual, it's about how, how we learn as a, as a system. Absolutely. Now that you're just emitting positivity right now, Helen. <laughs> <laughs> All of these like, you know, great, you know, things and, and, and take backs. No, that's it's really important. It's really important to uh, understand it's to, to, to see the lesson, you yeah. know, to see the lesson in failure. And that's that's what I'm getting from what you've said. Um, <clears throat> I can see that the things the thing that you've perhaps been most successful at throughout your journey uh your professional journey particularly is the ability to pivot so you've pivoted from psychology major to nurse to trainee gp um full-time gp to well-being specialist let me catch my breath keynote speaker <laughs> director of <laughs> at practitioner health and lmc well-being lead so, you know, you, you've pivoted into an extraordinary career in a field that perhaps is most needed today, which is well-being, uh, mm. particularly for healthcare professionals. You've really set the tone and set the bar in what can be achieved when you put your mind to things. As a woman, a mother, a wife, a GP, an entrepreneur, how do you find balance? Well, sometimes it feels like there is no balance. Um, and I've, I've tried to change in my mind, instead of thinking of this concept of work-life balance, so this concept of there's work, then there's life. Actually, I love my work so much. I think it's concept of, you know, you bring your life to work, works, works in your life. So I try to find balance by making sure that actually my work's really enjoyable. Mm -hmm. And often what I hear from people is, you know, work something to be endured, work something just to get through. But I try to bring... Um, joy into my working day and sometimes it's something you know something as small as just simply looking out the window at the clouds or making sure I take a really nice lunch to work or making sure I just make three minutes to speak to somebody at work or to find out something interesting about one of my patients that I can connect with them yeah. but I try and make make sure that actually my my job is enjoyable and that probably feels a real oxymoron to people listening to that at the moment because you know, work's really, really tough for people, isn't it? Um, and there's no doubt about that. People, you know, doing the jobs of two, three people at once. But I try to look at what can I control here. And, and I'm also a real big believer about the things we do outside of work are absolutely vital to drive how effective we are in work. Mm -hmm. So I recognize how important it is to have time away from work and doing things that really re-energize me and nurture me and sustain me. And actually those things for me feed back into that first question you asked me about what are my priorities? So I know that if I want to have the energy to be my best, Self, that's a bit corny isn't it but be you know best Helen at work yeah I need to top up my batteries outside of work and that is things like being outdoors spending time with my family spending time with my friends um you know going to the pub just walking down to the pub and seeing people and get feeling the sun on my skin and you know going for a swim or walking the dog or reading a book and it's all too easy just to spend hours and hours and hours scrolling through your phone and you know just eating up our time and energy so I consciously try and make sure that the time I have away from work is doing things that re-energize and sustain me no no absolutely and just to add to what you've said just the importance of understanding that you don't have to do it alone like look mm. at you know areas spaces where you can get help whether it's from your own your employer um your family friends whatever it may be your community um so yeah no that's really good i mean 
no very positive stuff and uh i'm i'm, I'm definitely inspired already and we haven't even got <laughs> into you. oh my gosh um <laughs> do you know um, what though i think when somebody said says oh bring joy into work and you're feeling overwhelmed and you're on your 60th patient of that day it, you know it can feel a little patronizing to hear that a lot patronizing to hear that and actually it's really really hard to see the wood for the trees but you know that just identifying what's important to you and what your values are and what your purpose is and what your priorities are you can then bring those things in and it is it can be things as small as like one of the things I talk about a lot is um I really like good coffee <laughs> and I would go to work in the morning and I would drink um I'd make my cup of coffee while my computer was firing up and I'd, it'd be like horrible Nescafe out of a chip mug that a drug rep left in the cupboard in 1984 and I thought actually it's really important to me to have a really good cup of coffee this is something I enjoy so I started to make I got a really lovely cup and um, actually a patient gave it to me a beautiful cup from John Lewis that said thank you on it a china cup and I started taking filter coffee with me to work in a flask and I pour my filter coffee into my mug and while my computer was firing up it used to take one minute 32 seconds to turn on I'd spend that one minute 32 seconds really enjoying my cup of filter coffee and it was such a tiny little change but I just look forward to it every day and thought I know I've got that one thing yeah in my day before I start so there are tiny little things we can have control over when it feels like everything else is out with of our control and that can make us feel better yeah no you you know you you just mentioned that you know you got this this beautiful kind of mug that said Mm. thank you from a patient and that just kind of warmed my heart because I just it made me just think of all all the things that practitioners are going through now (laughs) I mean and just it's just those little things, those little acts of kindness. And, you know, it's just that appreciation that you, 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 you get from, from your patient. Oh it, yeah. It way. Yeah. It goes along. And do you know what, to pick up on that, I talk about this a lot. Um, and actually if anyone's come across Professor Neil Greenberg, he, he's amazing. He's done amazing work on um, well-being and coping with the trauma of the pandemic. And he talks about one of the key things we can do to protect against negative psychological effects of the way we're working at the moment. Thanking our colleagues so recognizing when people do things well even just the tiny things and giving positive feedback to people and we don't do enough of that we're very very good at looking at when things go wrong Mm-hmm. it's significant offense we're very good at um complaints and negative feedback but more of the positive things and actually taking the time to thank people at the end of the day thank you for your hard work today thank you for doing this taking the time to be specific think when yeah. you did this today so when you did x it had y effect thank you for doing that is hugely hugely effective and just appreciating each other mm-hmm. can make a difference there's some evidence that shows for really high functioning effective teams the ratio of positive to negative feedback needs to be six to one so for every bit of negativity that happens we need six pieces of positivity and sometimes I, I tell people I'll set a challenge like today when you when you're back at work for the rest of today make a real concerted mindful effort to acknowledge pe- what people are doing even something as simple as do you know when you smiled at me this morning when I came in it really lifted my spirits thank you for doing that or um, you know thank you for bringing me that cup of tea today or thank you for you know checking if I was okay thank you for taking that extra patient thank you for doing that home visit today you know thank you for covering reception whatever it is yeah give people that positive feedback and it makes such Absolutely. a difference it, it really does. And it's, it's so funny because we are, you know, even when we talk about things like social media, which is like the new norm and, you know, some people, you know, look at their, their comments and they'll say that, oh, there, there were positive comments and there was one negative comment and it just set me back. well of course I mean we're hardwired to focus on the negative and we have to be because that's what kept us alive when we were cavemen we had to look out for threats so we're hardwired to focus on it and I talk about this in my talks how often do you you go to book a holiday and you find a great hotel you look on TripAdvisor and there's a hundred positive um report reviews and there's two negative ones 
so yeah. you don't break it. And it's absolutely the same in our day-to-day -day lives, and particularly in with doctors, the anonymous 360-degree feedback we all have to go through for our appraisals. I mean, that can be brutal. And sometimes people will get, you know, lots of great positive feedback, but one piece of negative. And you can ask any healthcare professional who's had that, yeah. tell me the negative feedback you've had. And they can tell you word for word that feedback they got 15 years ago. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, because you hold on to that yeah. one and that bit, one bit of negativity overrides everything else. And, you know, it can be helpful to have constructive feedback, but it's also really, really important that we have that positive feedback yeah. and we give each other that regularly. And actually, you know, everybody comes to work to do their best. Nobody leaves in the morning for work thinking i'm going to be rubbish today yeah. i'm trying to substandard yeah i'm going to try and do a bad job today nobody <laughs> ever thinks that everybody's going to work to do their absolute best and if things go wrong or things aren't you know the best they can be it's it's not down to just specific individuals it's down okay. down to we all have collective responsibility to try and make things better so just thanking people and you know being grateful is so so important and i i don't think we do enough of it in the right. age i agree and i'm glad you we, we have this on record because <laughs> <laughs> it's very true it's very true but um i mean you know and i want to i want i want us to just kind of look a little bit about your 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 appointment so you were appointed as a director at practitioner health um yes. talk us through that appointment this yeah i mean where do i start it's i mean this is this is my entire purpose in life as i said going back to my experiences in the early days of a doctor and all of my values are about kindness and lifting people and inspiring people and you know helping people i've been very very clear from very early on in my medical career that what i wanted to do was to um, set up some kind of service that would be to look after healthcare professionals and doctors um in particular because that's what i am um i accessed one of those lots of fellowships around aren't they in the phoenix program that is run um under the umbrella of knots lmc is an absolute brilliant vehicle for this so if anybody listening is thinking how they can start to develop their career and things they're interested in i'd really recommend people get in touch with the phoenix program to see what's on offer and and i accessed a fellowship a um newly qualified gp fellowship and and there was lots of different projects on offer and those things are gyne and diabetes you know lots of things like that yeah. and I I put forward my own proposal and I said I want to set up a service to support doctors and their well-being so I developed that um through the LMC and started working with the LMC to look at um, how we can support wellbeing for our, our primary care staff in Nottinghamshire. And it was through that that I came to meet Claire Gerarda, who's our current president of the RCGP. And Claire Gerarda was running a quite small service at the time in London for doctors and dentists and mental health treatment service. So I connected with Claire and that service expanded to be open to all GPs um, throughout the country back in 2017. And I came on board as a, a clinician um, and then a clinical lead for the service and then eventually moved up to deputy medical director. And now I'm, I've taken over from Claire Gerard as medical director, along with Dr. Zaid Al-Najjar, who it's just literally, it's just everything I've ever wanted. It, every, my dream job but you know when people say if you could write down your dream job on paper design where you want to be when you're a real grown-up this is it and I'm here um yeah. and yeah I can't imagine doing anything else really it's you know it's everything I want to do yeah. in my career to support and help doctors I'm now in in that position to be able to lead that service I want to talk a little bit about your workshops because you have um you have a great series of workshops to support GPs and, you know, practice staff. So, you know, struggling with things like burnout, fatigue, mm. you know, they have a low morale and more. We often yeah. have you host your Relight My Fire workshop yeah. uh, at our annual conferences, which goes <laughs> a treat for our, our practices because it's like you close our conference and you just get everybody, like literally get them alive, get them feeling energized. 
I know that the focus is with doctors. I know that you've always felt that this is your purpose in life. Did you, was there something that you saw, particularly in your earlier career as a nurse, uh, going on the ward um, with GPs? Was there something that you saw about what they were going through? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, absolutely. And just for the purposes of transparency, the workshops that I run are are separate to practitioner health. So I this is a business that I run lots of balls. I'm juggling and the well-being GP. So well-being workshops and training um, with with a twist, really. So inspiring, motivating workshops where people leave feeling, you know, actually, I, I, I can make some changes here to make life better. But but yeah. Yeah, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's quite a tragic story, really. Going so when I was a nurse, um, and really the real thing that's underpinned where I am, and I have spoken about this before, but um, when I was a nurse, I was really quite friendly with a lot of the, the doctors, and they were under an awful lot of pressure. And a doctor that I knew very well and worked closely with, unfortunately, died by suicide, and it was devastating. I saw firsthand the pressures that these doctors were under so when I became a doctor I went in with open eyes actually about the pressures but I'm sad to say that actually that wasn't the first doctor that I worked with and knew that died by suicide and you know it's at least five other of my fairly close colleagues who have died by suicide Um, and I don't think you could speak to a doctor in the land who does not have a similar story of a friend or a colleague who's died by suicide and that that's what drove me um really to to want to make a difference and at practitioner health we genuinely do save lives doctors come to us who really are you know we, we see all range of things you know doctors who are struggling with exams who've been burnt out stressed right yeah. through to addictions to really doctors in crisis that is so heartbreaking just to hear yeah. You know, it's very heartbreaking because, you know, a doctor is in charge of saving lives, you know, Mm. like they're in charge of looking after the health of a population, you know, so they have a huge, uh, you know, I always often say, and it's a saying, heavy is the head that the crown rests on, right? So it's such a huge responsibility that you rarely ever kind of look into it and say, this person is still a human being, you know, mm. they also have family. They also have off mm. days. They, do you see what I mean? So who do they go to, to care for them? Absolutely. Who yeah. looks after the carers? Who cares Absolutely. for the carers? Yeah. And, you know, we, we could talk all day about this, but the reason practitioner health exists is yeah. exactly that. There's so many barriers in the way of doctors seeking help. So, so many taboos, you know, doctors are seen as superhuman. We shouldn't be unwell if we're, you know, if we're struggling with our mental health or, you know, burnout or stress. Well, that means I'm a failure. And, you know, am I going to get struck off? Am I going to be reported? Or even just down to, really basic barriers that doctors are working such long hours that they can't leave work to go and see their own GP or their own GP might be somebody they trained with or you know a friend or a friend of a friend so there's all of these barriers in the way to doctors seeking help so often what happens is then doctors will self-treat or we have corridor consultations where we're not getting objective treatment you know we're asking our colleagues to help us or whatever till eventually you know things can get very bad and that's exactly why practitioner health exists is to give that confidential care treatment love and support to doctors who can't access it and it's a great purpose helen i mean honestly it's it's a it's a great initiative a great purpose it's just a wonderful thing that practitioner health is doing and and we're spearheading that so i I thank you on behalf of the practitioners and all other practice staff who might be struggling you know um in the role the 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 COVID-19 pandemic did a number on all of us. Um, we, you know, we're out of the thick of it. I yeah. Somehow <laughs> there is the, this kind of next phase of, you know, healing wounds, learning how to cope with the aftermath. The fact that, you know, it's here to stay in many ways. Um, in your estimation, what do you think it will take to recover from this, this global pandemic? And what are some of the 
practical things that practitioners can do to begin the healing process? Oh, gosh. Well, I mean, I don't think we're going to know till years and years down the line the true extent of the effects that this pandemic's had on our um, healthcare staff. And, you know, we're, we're all seeing it, aren't we, in ourselves, in our colleagues. Um, we're seeing it, practitioner health. People are exhausted absolutely exhausted yeah. um we're, we're seeing the effects of trauma people are coming to us at practitioner health with symptoms consistent with ptsd i think on a on the most basic level i think accepting and acknowledging it's been a really horrific experience and we're still in it it isn't over we're still in it who knows what the winter has to bring but yeah. just that um labeling acceptance actually this has been really really tough can be helpful and actually this again it's another cliche but being kind to ourselves we're not so good at that yes in healthcare we often work and work and work and work and work till we crash we think you know we're not able to take a rest take a break to to just be kind to ourselves and allow ourselves to take the time we need to recover and actually i, I often say to people one of our doctors that works with us, Dr. Caroline Walker, she's amazing. She's also known as the joyful doctor. She gave yeah. me this phrase that I use a lot, um, but the credits to her is finish the sentence. I give myself permission to. Yeah. And whatever comes to your mind at the end of that sentence, just hold on to that. And it's I give myself permission to, it might be to go off sick when I'm poorly, to take a nap when I'm tired, to eat that nutritious food, to go for that walk, to spend time with my family, to, you know, to change my job, to, you know, to take some time out, whatever it might be. And yeah. things as simple as I give myself permission to have a nap when I'm tired, it can be so powerful, yet seems so basic. Right. So I just think, you know, this that we could talk all day about how we're going to heal and recover from this you know there's whole government strategies on this but and we've touched on a lot of it before the way we heal and recover is one acknowledge what we've been through thank people for their hard work offer the support to each other when it's needed let people know where the wider support is if that's needed and we've talked about practitioner health the lmc you know the bma yeah. counseling service you don't have to be a member of the bma to access that all of these resources are on the on the lmc wellbeing pages but I think most importantly just genuinely be kind to ourselves as cliched as that is yeah no it's not it's it's the most important thing that you can do <laughs> for your well-being and and that of others so uh, a bit of a shameless plug there are several well-being opportunities available to practice staff now especially with the COVID pandemic which you know can be accessed on the knots website at www.nottinghamshire.co no, sorry nottinghamshirelmc.co.uk and you'll find a wealth of resources and ones that are also covid specific before you go what three things do you want to be remembered for now this was a well-being top tip that I got from your Twitter page. So I'm, <laughs> I'm turning it, I'm turning the question back onto you. Well, I can answer that because this is an exercise I do in my talks actually is um what's your eulogy? What if if you were to die tomorrow, what what do you want to be remembered for? And I can tell you quite clearly, I want to be remembered for making a difference to healthcare professionals' lives and to change the landscape and to make um, to offer love and support to healthcare professionals who are struggling. I want to be known and remembered for being a really great mum and a really, this is four really, not three, and a really great wife and friend. And they're my things. And actually, I think it's really important we all think, what do we want to be remembered for? What are our three things? And actually, if you were to die tomorrow, could people genuinely say those three things about you are you living your life right now yeah in a way that would allow people to genuinely say those things about you and if you're not actually then what needs to change right where does perception versus reality fit into that <laughs> no <laughs> sorry <laughs> it just got me thinking because sometimes you you know you 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 are a certain way and you feel that you're you know you, you know being kind and but the perception is different and 
you know well that's a bit of a hard one isn't it <laughs> well I think actually I think it's about actually we all say I want to be remembered you know take mine I want to be remembered as a really great mum a really great friend a really great wife yeah. but if I was to die tomorrow really if I took a long hard look at myself yeah. am I doing what's important to be those things so actually am I spending time with my kids when did I last call my friends and see them when did I last you know spend some decent time with my husband um I can always say I think I'm doing the right things at work because I, I do that's always there and that's for many of us who say actually if you were to prioritize you asked me at the beginning your priorities and this is an exercise I do with people say here's a list of um, common priorities so work family social life money put them in order into what matters most to you so your top priorities and now actually order um where you're spending your time and your energy and does it match so for most people we'll say family is the most important thing to us yeah. actually are we spending all the you know most of our time and our energy on our families actually we're probably not it's probably going on work yeah. yet people have worked further down the list so i think that kind of answers your question about perception versus reality and it's about actually this emotional intelligence and just really being honest with ourselves about it's easy to say what's important to us but actually are we living our lives to put yeah. the time and the energy into those things that are important to us and if we're not do something about it before it's too late thanks so much for your time helen and your vibrant energy um <laughs> <laughs> before you leave us how can listeners reach you mm. so i feel like this was a really philosophical <laughs> podcast um so they can reach me I'm happy to um take emails i'm helen gar all one word no dots ga at nhs.net or dr helen gar at the wellbeinggp.co.uk if anybody's interested in any of the well-being workshops and keynote speeches well, there you have it. As I mentioned earlier, Helen is our LMC Wellbeing representative and you can find many wellbeing resources that she has kindly provided us on our website at www.nottinghamshirelmc.co.uk. As always, it's a pleasure coming your way. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast to be notified whenever we release a new episode. Until next time. Bye. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe to the Nottinghamshire LMC podcast for subsequent episodes with me, Zenaida Morrison at podbean.com. Bye for now.